Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Dr. Johnston. Hello. uh, Hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers, so anyway, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you, God bless. That's my question. So, thanks a bunch. Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And I just want to say something. It's November the 2nd, our broadcast date. And can I, can I just say Merry Christmas, friends? Um, it certainly is in the Johnston household. No, it's not too early. Don't even think that. I was just helping enlighten my producer, Nat, um, that it is definitely time to celebrate Christmas. It's not too early. In fact, here at the Johnston home, we've had some wonderful elves with, with Santa hats on, putting on our Christmas lights. It's got us all in the Christmas spirit. And why am I even talking about this right now? Well, I have an important conversation. We're going to talk about the infancy narratives and the Gospels today. Do you know what that is? We're talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Advent is the Latin term, the appearance, or if you know Greek, you know the parousia, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. This is the season that we are celebrating. Um, And we've actually got some great programs teed up for you this Christmas. It begins right now. We also have a program teed up for you in a few weeks. Um, We're going to talk about the historicity of St. Nicholas. So there's a nice uh, little preview for you. I was just talking to somebody about it today, in fact, and they were fascinated by some of the information we're going to give right here on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. It's so great to have you joining us today across Faith Radio Network, and I want to encourage you to definitely check out some of our past programs. Every time we broadcast, um, Faith Radio Network does such a great job of this. The show is turned into a blog. It lives forever on the Internet. You can go out and you can read a great summary of the program. And then right when you're done reading the summary blog, you can hit play right there and listen to any of our past programs. So that's available for you. I think, and I say this as someone uh, who's a Christian thinker who does quite a bit of media, I think Faith Radio Network does the very best job of digitally offering and archiving radio broadcasts. And I'm so, I'm so proud to be a part of that team here, and you can definitely check that out with all the shows that we've done here at the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And why do I tell you that? Because, A, it's going to encourage your spiritual life. Uh, people are throwing down all kinds of wisdom, lots of content. We need to listen to it more than once. But definitely you can utilize that in your own social media. People are always gobbling up this information for Bible studies and their local church, sending it to their pastor. They want their pastors to be well-informed. Amen. Uh, So definitely check that out. How do you do that? Just go to the Faith Radio website, click programs. You're going to see all the great programs, and you're going to see the Jeremiah Johnson show listed, and you can see what I'm talking about, the most recent blog, the most recent show, as well as the archive of all the past shows. While you're doing that, if you're like me, you love digital content, you can now subscribe to the Jeremiah Johnson show across all kinds of podcasting Platforms. In fact, I can say now we're everywhere there is a podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, you name it. I, half the ones I say are wrong. Um, <laughs> whatever it is, wherever there's a podcast, there's the Jeremiah Johnston Show, and we're so glad that you can take advantage of that. And, of course, on iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, Google, uh, the Google Play Store, we're there. It's a joy today to be talking to Dan Darling. He's on hold. He's going to be joining.
joining us in a moment. We're going to be talking about the characters of Christmas. Um, this is a show you might want to listen to with your family. I hope all these shows you listen to with your family, but this one in particular, we're going to be talking about those individuals in the infancy narratives that we see in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, the key players. He's written a night, an exciting new book. It's a great book. It's a very accessible book for your family. Uh, Moody Publishers has published it, so definitely check it out. He's going to be joining us. I have lots of questions and also some insights because I love, as a gospel scholar, teaching uh, the infancy narratives. There's so many things we miss because we just read them too fast. This is going to be an encouraging program. Merry Christmas. We're going to be right back with my friend Dan Darling talking about the exciting characters of Christmas in his new book. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnson Show, and let me just say Merry Christmas. Is it is it too early to say Merry Christmas? We're broadcasting here in the first week of November. <laughs> I don't think it's ever too early to say Merry Christmas personally, but I've got joining us uh, someone who's no stranger to Faith Radio Network, but the very first time he's been on the Jeremiah Johnston Show, uh, Dan Darling. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Jeremiah, it's great to be with you. Friends, um, I'm holding in my hand a brand new book project. Dan is an excellent author. He's a prolific author. And you probably know him as Vice President for Communications at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. But he's a fantastic author, speaker, columnist, a great Christian thinker. And I love great Christian thinkers. Um, Dan, I'm excited about your new book, The Characters of Christmas. It's available right now. The unlikely people caught up in the story of Jesus. I have lots of questions for you related to it. But I want to back up because you're you're the first time you've been on our show, and there are some people that are very familiar with your work, and there are others who may, this may be the first time that they've connected with you. Can you just explain to people who may not be familiar, um, what is the ERLC, what do you do, and why is it so important? Yeah, so the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, we um, are uh, an agency of the Southern Baptist Convention, and essentially we have two roles. We we speak on behalf of Southern Baptists and really conservative evangelicals in the public square on a number of issues, uh, religious liberty, human dignity, issues, pro-life, uh, religious freedom here and overseas, um, a variety of those things. So we, we speak into the public square. We try to work with you know, the administration and Congress and, and the courts and advocating on behalf of all those things. And then we also speak to uh, Southern Baptists. Uh, and evangelicals, essentially, uh, we try to equip pastors and church leaders how to think through moral and ethical issues, how to apply the gospel uh, to all of life. And so there's a, a big teaching aspect to what we do as well. I love it. And how did, how did you get into this role? How long have you been in this role? And what were the steps that led you here? So I've been here six years um, as VP of Communications. And then prior to that, I uh, was a pastor in the Chicago area. Uh, and I've, you know, I've been writing and speaking pretty much most of my adult life. Um, I've always, I've always been someone who kind of, uh, had a foot in the sort of the cultural issues and a foot in the church. I love mm -hmm. really deeply love the church. And I think really the church life is really important and also just trying to help Christians apply their faith to the world in which they live. It's so important, and you and your wife, Angela, also have four children. Tell us about your family, if you would. Yeah, so we have four kids. Uh, we've been married for almost 17 years. We, uh, Our oldest is 15. Our youngest is 8. So we have a have a really full house, a fun house, and uh, just love <laughs> what the Lord has called us to do here. 
I love it. I have five children, so I'm I'm with you. And uh, you can sympathize. We, <laughs> we have triplets age three, so we haven't slept in three years. Dan, oh, wow. So. Oh, man. <laughs> Mercy. Um, friends, also, uh, Dan is a contributing editor at Christianity Today, so check out CT Pastors. Um, he's been a columnist for Home Life, a regular contributor. His bylines are CT, the Gospel Coalition, op-eds in USA Today, CNN, Washington Times, Huffington Post, National Review, Washington Post, First Things. Um, and I, what I appreciate is your fresh perspective because I feel like this is an outflow of your your ministry in life, just reading your columns, you have this great ability to minister at the intersection of the church, but real life, practical life. Um, you know, how did God do that? I mean, what, obviously you've had some, some formation in your life that's given you this ability to speak at this, at this corner, this intersection of faith and, and culture. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I grew up in a family where uh, we were encouraged uh, to, you know, to have conversations, to debate issues. Um, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents took us to church every week. As I like to tell people, we were in church every time the doors were open, sometimes when the doors weren't. Um, <laughs> and we, you know, so we had those rhythms of church life, which are so formative and so important, learning the hymns, hearing the gospel, um, reading your Bible, uh, being formed that way. But then also, uh, I think, you know, my parents took three newspapers every every week in our Chicago, and I always read I was one of those kids I was reading news and reading, you know, the sports section, the news section, you know, every day and trying to kind of get a grasp of how, how to think about these things. And I think just being formed also by uh, thinkers like uh, Francis Schaeffer and Chuck Colson mm. and, and and men like that, Ravi Zacharias and, and others, who, uh, Al Mohler, people like that, just trying to think how, how do we live well uh, as, as members, as citizens of the kingdom of God uh, in – uh, the 20th century, and 21st century. It's, and so it's interesting. It sounds like this is something your parents modeled for you growing up as well. Yeah, they did. They really taught us to think, you know, both to like uh, follow Christ with your life and to be faithful to the church and to, uh, follow, but also to follow whatever pursuits and passions God gave you and uh, to think well, to, to debate, to have different ideas. My dad was always a quiet person. He's a, um, the tradesmen take me with them to the job site a lot of times. But we have these great conversations in the van, the way there, great conversations around the dinner table. And I think that just sort of formed me in ways of like, okay, uh, this is what God has for me to do in terms of um, communication, writing, speaking, all that. Um, and honestly, at this point, I'm like, there's only two or three things I, am, I can actually do, so I, I probably should just do those. That's awesome. Tell, take us through your theological track and your formation educationally. I think that's so important. Yeah, so I grew up. Uh, I grew up in the church, Baptist church, and I've uh, attended uh, seminary. You know, went, went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for seminary training. I've always been a, a big reader, so reading and thinking, reading people like uh, Tim Keller, D. A. Carson. Um, I think pastoring helped me too. I think one of the things about pastoring is you really dealing with real people and not just abstract ideas, but actual people in their ordinary daily lives and how to lead people, how to love people, how to teach the Bible. Um, and, you know, when you're pastoring and you take it seriously, you're really trying to um, get as equipped as you can in, in the in the thick of it. 
I love it. Friends, if you're just joining us across Faith Radio Network, this is the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Welcome, those of you listening across the Central and Eastern Time Zone. And I'm so delighted also for the people who are joining us via podcast on demand. We're talking with Dan Darling. He's the Vice President for Communications for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a fantastic author, a great Christian man. Uh, Tell us about your website, Dan, as well, because I find it personally to be an excellent resource. Yeah, so you can visit my website at danieldarling.com. So I have blogs there. Uh, I have my weekly podcast where I interview Christian leaders. Um, and you can sign up for a newsletter uh, where I kind of every week give a kind of a take on what, what's going on in the news. I have some good links. Sometimes I'll have some practical ideas how to do, how to write, how to speak, how to um, – how to think through certain ideas. Uh, so you can you can visit danieldarling.com. Dan, out of the seven or eight books that you've written, what's your favorite thus far? Man, that's hard. That's like asking you, you know, what, what's your <laughs> favorite children? child, right? <laughs> you know, and I, I, I heard um, George Will say in a recent interview, and I think I'm going to use his line, that his favorite book is the one he's working on. Uh, or the one he just finished, and so I think I'm going to do that. I love, I love, I loved working on all my books. Uh, this last one that I've worked on, you know, the characters of Christmas was was really fun, and and I enjoyed doing just being able to kind of dig into the Gospels, into the story of the incarnation of of Christ, and really think through each of the characters and and sort of the ordinariness of their life and how they were all part of God's sovereign uh, plan from history. I love it. Um, I, I, I'm so glad we need more books on Christmas because it's something we, most of us celebrate. But when when pushed to it, we don't realize how important it is theologically, practically. Um, Dan, I've been asked 30,000 questions uh, through Christian Thinker Society, and I, I receive so many questions related to Christmas. Um, tell us tell us what's unique about the characters of Christmas. And again, it's published by Moody. It's available today. I want you to get it. Um, because what I appreciated about your book was a fresh perspective on truly the title, the characters of the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Well, I just really loved writing this book and I've always, always loved Christmas. Uh, I mean, I love the whole season. I love that we start thinking about it in this, you know, first of December, actually, you know, end of November, just start <laughs> thinking about it and that we have a whole month to just kind of soak in the, the beauty and the wonder of the coming of, of the son of God, uh, God come in the flesh, God visiting us. And if you think about it, it's really what separates Christianity from other religions, that God is not a distant, angry deity, that he visits people. He visits humanity in Jesus. And it, 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 um, tells us how much God loves, uh, his image bearers, that he's willing to become, uh, an image bearer, uh, become a, uh, come in the flesh to dwell among us. And, you know, the, this mystery of the divine and human in, in one person in Jesus is so powerful. And what really, what really has struck me, struck me is just, um, as you look at each of the people involved in the Christmas narrative, how ordinary their lives were, right? Like Mary's a, teenage peasant girl. Joseph is a carpenter just trying to eke out a living and mind his own business and and, and follow Yahweh. Uh, you've got these shepherds who were the least likely people that you would make your big announcement to. After 400 years of silence, after God has not spoken to his people, 
the announcement of the fulfillment of all the prophets had prophesied in all the Old Testament comes in a shepherd's field <laughs> to ordinary shepherds, not mm. in Rome, not in Jerusalem, not not anywhere. You know, no press release, no social media campaign. It's in a shepherd's field with angels. And I just think of all, you know, all the people sort of wrapped up in this, how God uh, used each one of them to fulfill his divine plan. And I want you to expand a little bit because um, this this whole notion, and friends, we're going to get into this. I'm so glad for Dan. I'm so thankful for Dan Dar- Darling's time today. But we've only got about 90 seconds until our first break. But why is it so important that we look at Christmas from the different perspectives of these characters involved? Well, I think each character points us to Jesus. Each character tells us something about who God is. Each character tells us something about the kingdom of God, uh, an entry point. The, the, it tells us about the kind of people that the kingdom of God is made up of. So you have shepherds, you have a peasant girl and Mary, and you have Joseph. You have Simeon and Anna who have been waiting for the, the coming of the Messiah. You have Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, the Magi from the East, and each one of them tells us a little bit something about uh, the plan of God to visit his people. I love it, friends. Um, Again, the book is The Characters of Christmas. We've got to jump to a 90-second break. Dan Darling is with us. I have some questions for him related to Christmas as well. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas, as they say in the UK. Uh, This is a great conversation. We're just getting into it. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the program. I have joining us today Dan Darling. He's the vice president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a great author and thinker, just an all-around cool guy, a great Christian thinker, as I said. Um, I've enjoyed very much reading his books and his writings, so I would commend him to you. also want to encourage you to check him out on social media. You can see links to all of his social media by going to his website, which is danieldarling.com. But if you want to just go ahead and connect with him on Twitter right now, it's at Dan. Darling. Join me in following him and being connected with him online. We're discussing his excellent new book, The Character of Chris, The Characters of Christmas, The Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. Dan, I'm a I'm a historical Jesus scholar by training. I love the Gospels. Um, I receive so many questions about um, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, and I would just love to hear your perspective having lived in Christmas now. You've, you've already said in our previous segment, um, you think it's really something we need to think about year-round and meditate on, the incarnation. But why do you think it is that there's some confusion um, in the church about the exact date of the birth of Jesus? I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Why is there confusion about it? About the yeah. uh, about the the date of Jesus? The exact you know, I, date. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, I think scholars differ on that. I think just because of the the you know the the length of time that has obviously passed uh, in these two thousand years, and I think um, sort of the you know the amb- ambiguity around that. And I think one of the important things about it is, you know, as you kind of look at the, you know. Could it could it be it could have been December and a lot of people think it wasn't in December. Could it be the twenty fifth? Was it another date? Um, what's interesting to me about some of the things surrounding the life of Christ that for two thousand years have been kept kind of obscure and a bit def- undefined is that I I think um, it's because I think God has allowed that so that we don't focus on certain specific things that might take our eye off the, the, the true meaning of Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, when it comes 
comes to those specifics, I think, you know, there's there's certain church traditions that have developed over the years. You know, if you think back a few hundred years ago, a lot of Christians didn't want to celebrate Christmas because they thought it was a pagan holiday. And obviously, if you if you kind of look through church history, that's not really the case. But uh, but I think the point of it is is that um, we are stopping the world is. I mean, for Christians, the world is stopping still here in 2019, stopping and in some way at least acknowledging and many celebrating. Mm the entrance of Jesus into the world. And it just gives us a great opportunity to tell this story, to press the gospel story in uh, to uh, to the celebrations that people are having. This is, uh, what a great, what a great response. And I want to ask you to react to where some scholars are on this. So some scholars, if you, if you raise the question that I just raised, we don't know the exact date. Um, they will immediately respond with something similar to this, and I want to ask you to react to it. You know, the birth of Jesus was really not that important to the early church. It was all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and they will go on from there and discuss how— then they'll go on from there and go on to culture. You know, culture wants to put Jesus in the manger, but, you know, he came to die. Um, And, you know, I I actually think that's going way too far out uh, because I personally think it's hard to study the Gospels and not see how important, (laughs) vital— Uh, And also what the gospel writers are doing with the infancy narratives, with the uh, incarnation narratives. So can you just respond to that for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an overcorrection. Look, I I, I mean, I think we'd all agree that the bulk of of the gospels uh, does – does focus on the passion narrative and Jesus marched to the cross. Uh, there's not a lot in the Gospels about Jesus' young life, you know, when he's sort of a young person, teenager, whatever, uh, or, or younger than that. Um, but there is considerable amount of ink given to G- to the birth of Jesus from from Matthew really just laying down the gauntlet that mm-hmm. this is the rightful king to sit on David's throne you know he has the the right lineage and then walking through all the the miracles that prove that he was the promised one the promised king to Luke painstakingly getting those detail you know the details right and that g- genealogy um and and John even though John doesn't give you a big passion narrative he um you know in, in the just the opening sequence talking about who Jesus is, his divinity and his humanity. Um, and and so I think, you know, for us to say, well, the, the birth of Jesus was not that important to the early church is really kind of ridiculous because the, the birth of Jesus, the miraculous birth of Jesus to a virgin uh, was the fulfillment of prophecy. And if you, even if you Amen. look at some of the Old Testament prophecy, much of the Old Testament prophecy, not all, but me- much of it was fulfilled in his birth, right? And where he lived, um, you know, the that he was born of a virgin and all those things. You had two, uh, you know, multiple angelic visits to announce this, you know, and, and, and if you think about it, God had been silent. Like, there's no recorded. God had not spoken to His people in uh, in 400 years. You know, the 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 New Testament era has ended. Here's a people who are restless, who are wandering, who are under the thumb of Rome. They have these sort of faint dreams of a of a deliverer, but they're they're very cynical. And all of a sudden, boom, you have an angel appear to a peasant girl. You have an angel appear to 
uh, her betrothed uh, future husband twice. You have the angels appearing to the shepherds in the fields. You have them appearing to the wise men to to warn them not to tell Herod. You have you have you know the birth of Christ was definitely a, a big deal to Herod, who saw him as a threat. And so I yeah I think that's kind of an overcorrection mm. uh, on the part of some. Now obviously if we keep only worship him as a baby in the manger. <laughs> Then we miss the whole point of him coming to redeem and rescue us. But there's a lot in the birth that matters for Christians, uh, not the least of which is that God came in the flesh, that God was an actual human being, uh, which means that God loves and cares about humans, that he didn't come just to rescue souls, but also to rescue our bodies in the final resurrection. Friends, you're listening to the Jeremiah Johnson Show across Faith Radio Network and our podcast. Our guest today is Daniel Darling. As you can see, he's an excellent, articulate Christian thinker, and I so appreciate your perspective and responding to that. And friends, as Christian thinkers, we want to make sure we don't have holes in our faith, holes in our theology. And yes, it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection. That's that's the thing that Paul said was of first importance. But at the same time, when we read the scriptures, if we don't focus on the different aspects that scripture focuses on, we can miss it. And we have pitfalls and we can have holes in our faith and we don't see the Bible the way God wants us to. And one of the great ways uh, to study who God is, is to study um, what God did in becoming man. And what I so appreciate about Dan Darling is he's really given us a fresh perspective in his new book. It's called The Characters of Christmas. And that's what we're discussing. Um, so take us take us through who, who's your favorite character you've already mentioned. And by the way, friends, if you're just joining us right now uh, live on radio, you're going to want to go back and check out the podcast because we've already done a little bit of an introduction to this book, but who, who's your favorite character um, as you think about the different characters in the story? Well, it's interesting. It, it, it's hard to pick one character uh, because just thinking about all of them was just really profound and trying to put yourself in their, in their sandals, if you will. Um, but one of the ones I lead off with is Joseph, and I think Joseph gets overlooked quite a bit uh, because he he's sort of there in the beginning. Uh, and then you sort of, you don't read about him much uh, later on, and some have speculated that perhaps he 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 died. You know, men in the first century had a uh, low mortality rate. I mean, they you know there's a lot of factors around that. We we don't know quite for sure. And John obviously had, uh, or Jesus actually asked John to take care of Mary. So there there's speculation that Joseph may have may have not made it. But we see him in the beginning. We see. Um, you know, first of all, his life is essentially turned upside down. Everything he thought he was going to be doing with his life is totally changed. His his um, fiance, if you will, is suddenly tells. He, it's interesting. The text is very ambiguous, but it says that that he basically discovered that Mary was pregnant. How that happened, I don't know. Perhaps you know, we want to speculate. She came and told him. And keep in mind, this is before the angelic visit. The the angel visited him in a dream. So. You know, he's hearing from her that an angel visited her and told her that she is conceived of the Holy Spirit. But it probably in the back of his mind was hard to believe. He He's thinking, oh, I have an issue, a problem on my hands. I have to deal with this. He did. His first instinct was to protect Mary. So, you know, the the mm. popular the popular move would have been for him to put her to, – to make a public shaming of her like we see in, in the Gospel of John with the woman caught in adultery. Uh, public shaming. Some even say that perhaps she might have um, you know, been executed for having a baby out of wedlock. So his desire was to put her away privately, which was the 
the harder option for him, which means he would bear shame the rest of his life uh, for that. And then when the angel came and visited him, we see in Joseph just the instinct, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes to God, I'm going to do the next right thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful. And he did that at great cost. We, we think, mm. you know, we all know the story that we celebrate, but his family, his friends, the people around them, they may never have believed that G- Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So they probably always looked at, at Mary and Joseph with a little bit of suspicion. And I think what we learned from Joseph, first of all, is faithfulness. He fathered a son that's not his own. He stepped in there and took care of it. And Jesus, in his in his humanity, uh, mm. had to learn and grow. And he probably did most of that from Joseph. He probably learned the, the scriptures from him. He learned how to work from him. We see him referred to later as Joseph's son. So we know there's a tight bond there. Mm. And then we see Joseph willing to bear shame for for the sake of this baby. He, and I think what is interesting, Joseph would bear the shame for this baby who would one day bear the shame for Joseph's uh, sin and reconcile him to his creator. So I think there's a lot to learn wow. from him. And I think that I love this, and I, I, I so appreciate your book. I don't know that I've seen a book before focus on the specific characters of Christmas and the way you have, Dan. So I heartily commend this to our audience of those listening. And it's a great book that you can not only, you will learn from yourself, but if you're a parent like Dan and I, I hope you'll take your kids through these different, I mean, did you hear the point that he just made? I mean, Joseph bore the shame, and think about it, Jesus bore our shame. I I just love that typology. Um, We've only got one minute before our break. We can go a little bit longer, but can you, and I think this will go into our third segment, but one of the things that I appreciate about when you study the infancy narratives, and I think you draw this out so well, is this whole notion of faith and hope rewarded. And you already mentioned briefly the Messianic prophecies, but when you think of the faith and the hope of Zechariah, Mary, Simeon. Can you just talk about that before our next break for a moment, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when you read Mary's prayer after the the angel visits her, and, and we think of Christmas as a sentimental kind of holiday, and it can be, but it her prayer is very subversive in saying this is the one who's going to take down powerful people and raise up the the lowly. It's 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 a total spiritual revolution she's praying about. And if you think about Anna and Simeon, they were saying the same thing. Here they were in the temple re- reading the prophecies, reading the old covenant, hoping and waiting for the day that they that uh the deliverer, the Messiah would come and the faith to wait in an era that was cynical when everyone else mm. was was it was hard for them to believe. And then what they prayed, you know, they when they prayed over Jesus, knowing who he would be, that he would have to, you know, as Simeon says, a sword would pierce Mary's soul, that he would cost this baby his life in order for for Israel to be saved and, and uh, for salvation to come not just to Israel, but to the whole world. And you think about that angelic message, and when you really study it, friends, it's so formative in our own personal theology. When you just think of verse 32, he will be great, son of the most high he shall be called. He will be called son of God. He will rule forever. There's so much at work there. I'm so glad that Dan Darling is taking us through his new book, The Characters of Christmas. We're going to be back. This hour is going by so fast with our final segment. Stay with us. You're listening to the Jeremiah Johnson Show on Faith Radio Network.
Welcome back to the program again. I just want to say Merry Christmas to you. We're celebrating the incarnation. We have an incarnational theology, and I have joining us a new friend, Dan Darling, um, excellent guy. Definitely check out his website, danieldarling.com. Connect with him on Facebook, Daniel M. Darling, and then at Twitter, at Dan Darling. Um, And we're discussing this great new book called The Characters of Christmas. I think it would be an excellent book, actually, for you to do as a Bible study with your family or in your Bible study group, husband and wife even if you're single, it, it refreshes you. And friends, we all need to be spiritually refreshed about the perspectives and the characters at Christmas. Now, I, I teach the Gospels. I love teaching the infancy narratives. And so I talk about this, you know, in Christmas and out of Christmas, just whenever I'm teaching it. Um, but I think that there's so much we miss when we only look at it one time a year. And so definitely grab this book, Moody Publishers, excellent Christian publisher. But I love the subtitle, The Unlikely People Caught up in the story of Jesus. We were just discussing ever so briefly, Dan, before our last break, faith and hope rewarded. In the table of contents, I really enjoy the fact that you talk about the fact that the shepherds were the first to know. Why why highlight that, that they were the first to hear this message of the Messiah? It it had actually happened right then in their own town. Well, I think there's so much embedded even in just the idea that the announcement first comes to shepherds. I mean, uh, on the one level, it tells you the kind of people that the kingdom of God is made up of, right? That the announcement of this long-awaited Messiah, the the one who will rule the world one day, who will upend kingdoms and kings, uh, doesn't come in Caesar's, you know, palace in Rome. It doesn't come even in the centers of power in Jerusalem with Herod. It comes in a Shepherd's field among shepherds. And what's so powerful about this is I don't think uh, God in his wisdom did, chose shepherds. Kind of, we, we need some sort of lowly people to, to, to fill out the picture. But that the, the idea of shepherding is all throughout Scripture, that God sees himself and, and portrays himself as the good shepherd of his people. Mm. And the prophets decried poor shepherds who would not care for people. Jesus would later say, I am the good shepherd. Right, and so the, the what the Christmas story is telling us is that Jesus would be a different kind of king. He wouldn't be one who he he would be one who ruled as a shepherd who had great care for their people. I also think it's it, it's interesting that they were likely um, tending to the very kinds of lambs that would be parts of the sacrifice uh, uh, in the temple, and the announcement comes to them that. The final sacrifice, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John calls Jesus, is here. Um, mm. And then I think, thirdly, I think there's something about shepherds. They're earthy. They're close to the ground. Mm. They they care for their people. Um, they're simple enough to just see and believe. Of course, if the heavens opened <laughs> and there's this angelic choir singing to me, I think it, it would be, a, you know, pretty hard not to believe, but these are simple people. And then they go and they leave everything and they go tell people that, that the Christ child is here and they go worship, uh, this, this baby Jesus. And so there's something powerful in the fact that the first announcement came to the shepherds. I love it. And, and also I want to, cause you know, it's hard in a, you know, to encapsulate a whole book, but what I also appreciate about the fact is you really help us 
you correct some misinformation. And I just want to point out, one, how the Bible doesn't even mention an innkeeper. I mean, take it from there, because you discuss this in the book at length. Yeah, so I do have a chapter on an innkeeper, but I wanted to be open-handed and say, we really don't (laughs) know fully. There's a lot of good scholarship and some speculation about what exactly was the setting uh, there when Mary and Joseph uh, frantically were trying to find some room so Mary could have the baby. What Was it a cave, a grotto, as some say? Was it uh, a more established inn like you see in the parable of the Good Samaritan where there, there's a roadside inn? Was it, some have suggested that maybe it was some people's homes? But it does seem to indicate in the text in Luke there that that um, there's a lot of people traveling, that there wasn't any room for people. And so I, I do imagine there was somebody there, whether it's an innkeeper or somebody kind of there to say, hey, we, we just don't have any room left. Let's try to make some room. And I do think that is a good metaphor for us, that um, when Jesus comes into our lives, it comes on an ordinary time, that Jesus will disrupt our lives and turn them upside down. For that person who was the proprietor of that inn or whatever it was, to him, just seemed like another night, another mm-hmm. another couple traveling for the census, just another people we have to deal with. But it wasn't an ordinary night. It was a it was a special night that the Son of God would visit, uh, and and that God would be among them in Jesus. And so I think there's so much for us to to meditate on, and so much for us to learn from this simple story. Talk about generosity and what we learn from the wise men. Mm. I mean, the wise men, the Magi, is such a great story because most of the people in the story are lowly types, right? The shepherds and and others. Here, here, these are people who are nobles. They they come from the east. They're they're learned men, um, probably deep steeped in astrology and other eastern religions. But they were on an honest quest for the truth. And I do believe that the Bible promises that if you honestly seek out the truth you will find it. And here they were willing to to go wherever the truth led them. They were willing to take great expense and cost to seek out the truth. And then when they got there and it when the truth their quest for the truth led to a person in Jesus as it always does, they were willing to bow. Here are these noble, learned scholars willing to listen to the voice of the angel to follow this divinely appointed star and to bow before a an infant, right? Mm. And it's such a contrast. It, it, and this is what Matthew's trying to do. He's making a contrast. Here, here, is, here is King Herod, who is threatened by this baby. Here are these kings from the east who bow before the baby. This is the posture of someone who truly comes to Jesus, that we come and we bow, that we come and we offer everything as they offer these expensive gifts, that we leave everything behind and we go wherever uh, we're called to go in order to, to follow Jesus. What else can we learn from these parts of the Bible that we may not appreciate? And keep in mind, Dan, you have lots of brand new Christians listening to you right now. You have some that are, they've been in the school of Christ their whole life, and they're Delta Force Christians, as I call them. Uh, but you've, you have some brand new Christians listening to you right now. So can you just talk for a moment um, about the lineage of Jesus? Why is this highlighted? What do we learn from it? What are some of the uniquenesses that we need to know? Well, what's what's powerful about about Matthew's genealogy, and a lot of times we'll kind of skip through the list of names in Matthew and Luke, but particularly Matthew. But there's a lot of, a lot of important stuff there. I mean, first of all, Matthew's making the case that this is the rightful son of David. 
He is he is a son of David, uh, and even the way the generations are laid out in, in terms of three three versions of fourteen names, and if you know sort of the way the Hebrew works, that forms the name of David. So Matthew's making the case that this is the rightful son of David to sit on Israel's throne. But what's even more powerful is that uh, in this um, genealogy, Jesus lists. Um, People that you wouldn't typically find in a in a genealogy, uh, people that really don't belong in the family of Jesus, mm-hmm. people who are outsiders, right? So, people like Rahab, who was not only a woman, which is not un, it's not it's very uncommon for a woman to be included in a genealogy, but she also was an outsider. Um, and people like Tamar, who um, and others who have a checkered history, checkered past, and I think what it tells us about the kingdom of God is not only that it comes among the lowly, not only does is it open to not just for insiders, but also for outsiders like the, the Magi who came, who were outside of Israel, but it's also open to those who who um, come with sin and come with a kind of uh, a mark on their back, so people who are um, often despised by society. These are the ones that are offered grace and, and hope in in the family of Jesus. And I think when we look at the the timeline of Jesus, um, or I mean the genealogy of Jesus, we might say we can find ourselves in there. We can find that um, we, we were not worthy to be in the family of God, but God mm. in Christ has reconciled us to him by his grace. I love that. Dan Darling highlights the forgotten, the sinful, the exploited, the outsider, we all fall under those categories, ladies and gentlemen. And isn't Christmas time a great time of year to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? If you've never personally come to know him, my prayer is that as a result of studying the characters of Christmas, you'll come to personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can you talk about just the importance of evangelism, Dan, around Christmas time? Well, I think it's important to evangelize. And I think one of the things that Christians need to do around Christmas is 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 meditate deeply on the story of Christmas, meditate deeply on on who Jesus is, and become so overcome with joy and celebration at the incarnation of the Son of God that it just sort of flows out of us, right? So one of the things we're we're tempted to do, I think, is is two um, wrong ways. One is we're tempted to kind of you know get so caught up in the busyness that we forget the meaning of Christmas, that it becomes all about gifts and parties and all that. But the other wrong thing I think we do is to become so cranky about all that stuff that we're sort of Christmas <laughs> exactly. cranks, right? Yeah. And, and and I think we shouldn't be that those kinds of people. We should be so overcome with joy from the season and, and from what Jesus has done that instead of berating that Walmart cashier for not saying Merry Christmas, let's let's be so overcome with the joy of Christ that people will ask us, why is it that you love Christmas and why should I care about it? I love that. And friends, what Dan has just told us is what we see reflected in Scripture. I mean, if you go home and if you study the infancy narratives of Luke, you're going to see that it all it is is a series of speeches and songs that are laced and filled with faith and hope and reward. Messiah has come. It's, it's actually beautifully 
uh, beautiful when you look at just the aesthetics of how the words are composed. And, and then when you think about the fact that in Luke specifically, his speeches are laced with words and phrases from the Old Testament. There's some amazing typology at work between Hannah and Anna, between things Mary says and the things Hannah, the mother of Samuel, said. There's some great typology at work. The way God worked in the past, he's still working today. So great encouragement. I want to encourage you to Definitely, if you haven't, connect with Dan Darling on social media. Um, Be encouraged by his work. Check out his excellent book, The Characters of Christmas. Dan, final question. I believe vulnerability is the new superpower to reach people. Um, And I ask all of my guests who come on this program what your unanswered question is for God. Um, If you could ask God anything today, what would it be? It might might not even be about Christmas. (laughs) Well, what I would ask is, you know, and I think this is something we're going to be meditating and marveling over forever and ever when Jesus comes and, and establishes his kingdom in full and in the new Jerusalem in heaven is why did he choose to work his divine plan using simple, frail, fragile people like us? I mean, when you think mm. even about the Christmas story, this divine plan of God foretold from the ages is entrusted to a, a peasant girl and her carpenter fiance to <laughs> 12 disciples who were scared to um, the church. And we see so many things about how bad the church is and how off base and how many issues there are, but God has entrusted his plan to the church. He's building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why is it that he chose in his providence to use such frail people to carry out his divine plan? Mm. Wow, what a great word to end on. He's Dan Darling. You can connect with him at DanielDarling.com. Dan, thanks so much for being on our program today, and I would love to have you on again in the future. Thank you, Jeremiah. It was a pleasure. Friends, I'll be back with some final thoughts on the other side of this break. Stay with us. You know, we've been talking in this program about faith and hope rewarded. And I just want to remind you of some of these excellent passages. Think about Zechariah. Your wife will bear a son and you shall call his name John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will go out in the power of Elijah. That's Luke 1, 13 to 17. Or of course, you know the story of Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Those are some amazing eternal descriptors. And then on in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, we hear that Mary sees her faith and hope rewarded. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has helped his servant Israel. And he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his posterity forever. To Zechariah in verses 67 to 79, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and he has redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David to guide our feet in the way of peace. What about the angels in Luke 2 verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then finally, I think of Simeon, uh, chapter 2, 29 to 35. Lord, let now your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Put yourself in the character Simeon's place. Wouldn't it be amazing for my eyes have seen your salvation? He didn't want to die. 
until he had seen the Messiah and he held him in his very hands. Isn't that a powerful story? We need as parents and as Christians to be reminded of these phenomenal characters of Christmas. That's why I've appreciated this conversation with Dan Darling. It's why anytime I teach the Gospels um, at the college level, graduate level, I always take time for the infancy narratives. And let me just share this with you as a brother in Christ. Take time for the infancy narratives this Christmas season. You're going to see that God always does give reward, faith, and we see hope as well rewarded. Friends, this has been a great conversation today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And I encourage you, as I said at the beginning, check out all of our past programs. You can subscribe to our podcast. It's available to you. And definitely, if you have a question, be many, uh, be one of the many who submit those to us. How do you subscribe to this program? Um, You can do that through the website. That's always a question that we receive. Go to the Jeremiah Johnston Show website um, at Faith Radio Network. But if you have a question or comment on the show, we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. You can submit that going to askjjj.com. Those come to our ministry of Christian Thinker Society, and those are great. We appreciate your feedback. It helps guide our content in the future. It's been a great joy to have you with us today. Thank you for tuning in across the Faith Radio Network, and we will see you next time on The Jeremiah Johnston Show. God bless you. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.